presence pouring out your praises bless your children with a greater sense of that presence a greater sense of your healing a greater sense of your truth that we may walk in truth and in the light let our eyes be fixed on Jesus let us practice his presence now as we worship Holy Spirit remove, renew our minds and our hearts through your truth land heavy on these pastors as they preach to us this morning Bring us the beautiful gospel. In your precious and holy name, all God's people say, amen. You may be seated for announcements. Well, welcome everybody to Mercy Road Church on this beautiful Sunday. My name's uh, Pastor Chad, and I'm the spiritual formation pastor here 
at Mercy Road. So thank you for joining us, whether it's online or in person today. It is my privilege just to bring a couple of things to your attention this morning. On September 26th, from 9 until noon, we're holding a membership class. Um, even if you are a member uh, through the Cross of Christ side or the Mercy Road side, I have learned so much going through and looking at our um, what binds us together, our goals and hopes for the future. And I think you're going to learn a lot about who we are and who we long to be if you're able to attend that class. Again, September 26th from 9 until noon. Um, we're still having signups out here in the lobby. Also, small groups. A number of people have signed up. We got lots of choices, men's groups, women's groups, uh, prayer groups. And Wednesday night, I'll be hosting a class that I'm really looking forward to. We're going to do a Bible study together, and that's going to start this Wednesday. But you can come any, any Wednesday that works for you. But take a look at the bulletin. There's more opportunities uh, for you. And it's my privilege to uh, pray for these men as they get ready to share in such an important message for all of us. So please join me. Lord God, we are so delighted, so excited, so humbled that we get to come before you now in the word of God, looking at what binds us, Lord, what unifies us as the body of Christ. So I pray for Pastor Scotty, Pastor John, Pastor Mike, as we look to you to guide us, to unify us, to forgive us, may your mercy and grace and love and hope abound as we share and look to the future together. This is our prayer, Lord, and we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody, and uh, if I have not met you, my name is Mike Lotz. I'm the lead pastor, if you're joining us online. Today, we are doing something creative and a little different than a normal sermon format. We have invited uh, my dear friend, Pastor Scotty Holloway, all the way from Mississippi, and my dear friend, Pastor John Bordy, who is a missionary in Asia, to talk about race and the gospel. Uh, we... Uh, we're listening, a friend and I were listening to a podcast recently from an Australian podcaster, and he said, well, the whole world has been turned upside down because of Minnesota. And it's very strange to hear an Australian reference Minneapolis, Minnesota as the center point of a complete global sense of unrest around race with uh, the death of George Floyd. And so it's a a subject that we would be unwise to not speak into, but I would ask this of everyone who is listening online and in person, would you do me a favor and would you come with an attitude that 
decides ahead of time not to have a spirit of offense. It's so easy in our culture to almost get addicted to the endorphins of feeling offended, and we're very imperfect people sharing imperfectly, but my, my goal here today is to address how do we navigate this, and what does the gospel allow us to do when it comes to the subject of race, racism in our country, and Pastor Scotty can speak with experience and authority on that, and in our world, and Pastor John serving outside of the United States can speak to that. Um, I want to just start us with uh, a quick story. Many of you know kind of the worst day of my life was a rocket attack in 2009 in which um, I had the strange privilege, opportunity to be with a friend of mine, a fellow soldier, African-American, uh, Carlos, who was 26 years old, while he bled to death from the wounds of that rocket attack. I prayed with him, I comforted him, we tried to do all we could medically, but, but he did not make it. And, and that's a traumatizing thing, and this, even though I was a chaplain in the Army and trained for that, and then immediately after, in the same kind of makeshift hospital tent, I turned to uh, another soldier, a friend of mine, Dan, was 22, who also died of his wounds. And when you have that experience, especially as a younger minister, it, it really leads you to be somewhat dismissive when it comes to race because what did not matter to me in that moment was the color of Carlos's skin versus Dan's skin. I just saw them as people made in the image of God who were struggling in pain and, and who were passing to the next life. Now that would be the wrong lesson to learn from that rocket attack, I think, as I've prayerfully considered the discussion on race and racism. I, I really think being a part of a ca Caucasian group that is a majority uh, population, it would be very easy to dismiss uh, foolishly the experiences of other people, other skin colors, other cultures, and, and some of the real pain that they've experienced. So uh, just as I wouldn't expect somebody who wasn't a combat vet to speak into that, um, I've invited my friends here. So the format is pretty simple. These two men prayerfully picked out two scriptures that will guide our conversation. And get this, they, they picked Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 without talking to each other out of the 66 books of the Bible. They just, God has a way of doing that. That's amazing. And so um, before they read those scriptures and lead us in kind of a thought application message on each of those uh, they're going to, in turn, just share a little bit about their experiences, who they are. So, Pastor uh, Scotty, would you kick us off? And thank you for being here. Thank you, baby. Thank you for letting me be here. Yeah. Are we on the mic there? Oh, oh, yep, we'll just take care of that. Oh. Yeah, why don't we'll work on that and you kick off. On that. I'm so glad we got experts in the room. That's good. Thank you all so much. Um, my name is Scotty Holloway, as, as Pastor Mike said. I am from a little town in Mississippi called Mendenhall, Mississippi. I grew up in McGee, Mississippi, which is about 40 miles south of Jackson. And at the tender age of five, my dad asked me which school I wanted to go to. Uh, back then, it was called free choice in public schools. Uh, Brown versus Board of Education said that you have to desegregate, but they said, they gave it an in interesting timeline. They said, with all deliberate speed. Now, I guarantee you, nobody in this room can define how fast all deliberate speed is. Mm -hmm. And these wonderful people on the Supreme Court said, you must desegregate with all deliberate speed. Well, in the Deep South, what they said was, 
well, well, we'll, we'll desegregate this way. We'll give people free choice. Anybody they can go to any school they want to go to. So at, at the, my, my, my dad came to me at five years old and said, son, which school do you want to go to? And I articulated it this way. Dad, I'll get a better education at a white school. Now, what did I, where did I get that at five? How in the world would I be able to articulate that at a, as a, at a five-year-old, as a five-year-old? Five years old, wow. And so that's what I told him. And my parents placed me uh, in an all-white school, only African-American kid in the school. And the teacher put me in the back corner of the classroom. And every time I would take papers up to my lovely teacher to be graded, she would take them out of my hand. She put a big red F on it. She'd circle it. And she said to me on a daily basis, why, I don't know why you're in here. You can't learn this stuff. Day after day after day. About two weeks after I got into that school, though, uh, I used to catch the bus at my grandfather's house. And so that's where I believe the Klan thought I lived. And so they came and they just shot up my grandfather's house. Mm. You know? Um, and, and, you know, and what I didn't get a chance to say this morning was I had relatives who waited out in the in the in the um, in the fields, um, in the surrounding areas, waiting for them to come back. So for two weeks, we had people, some of my relatives, out in the in the field, so to speak, waiting for them to come back to respond to that to that attack if they came back again. Mm. Thank God they didn't, because I know that would have been really really bad. But um, but what happened was we went. I went through that school year. And I'm, no, I'm making a long story short, because there's a whole lot more I could tell you, but I'm making a long story short. Uh, at the end of the school year, I got my report card, and it said that you had just failed the first grade. Mm. Now, how in the world do you fail the beginning? And it doesn't look very promising after that. But anyway, I got my report card. I, I contemplated what I was going to tell my parents about, about you know, what I thought about this. And that day, like I said, this bus seemed to have traveled faster and more efficiently than it ever had. And as I got off the bus, I know, well, before I got off the bus, I noticed there was a blue Chevy Impala, actually, that was following the bus. And when I got off the bus, I found out why. There were a group of men in the car, and they began to shoot at me. Hmm. I mean, I could see, I could hear guns. I could see fire coming from gun barrels and all of that. And, and I, 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 I wondered, how in the world would a boy with books would be a threat to men with guns? Hmm. I still, like I said, don't know what I told my parents about having failed the first grade. That wasn't, you know, I, I, all I know is I think I ran. That's all I know. But those are some of the things that God has entrusted to me, you know, as a person. And uh, um, some of the uh, discriminatory experiences that I've had. And I'll tell you more about, you know, all of that as we move along. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Scotty. Pastor Jung? Yeah, good morning, everybody. Uh, good to be here. And uh, thank you, Pastor Mike, for just inviting us this morning. This is a privilege uh, to be here to share. And uh, just a brief uh, uh, intro about me. Um, I was actually born here uh, and raised in Asia. My wife is here too this morning. Swati is here. And, uh, uh, but uh, just a Cliff Notes version, you know, I was, uh, my mom was raised uh, in an orphanage uh, in South Asia. And my dad was a pastor there. He uh, finished seminary, went back uh, to be a pastor uh, back in Asia. And 
at the age of 36, he passed away. And so my mom uh, was left with two young boys, three and four and a half. And uh, in that situation in South Asia, if you were a young widow with two boys with no safety net, it was a disaster story. It could be anything from abuse, slums, trafficking, whatever you, you worst case scenarios you can imagine. We've seen that happen with uh, different uh, folks that were part of our orphanage as well. And so the, me this, sitting here this morning and speaking to you all is an absolute miracle. This is just by God's grace. He literally lifted us up out of the ashes. You know, my mom was a, a person of faith, strong faith, uh, coming to faith at the orphanage. And she always had the, this, you know, I just saw this uh, strong faith in her right even through this crisis. And she said, you know, the word of God says that he takes care of orphans and widows. She said, I started as an orphan, now I'm a widow, and I'm still his problem, according to his word. And so <laughs> she just said, he's going to make a way. He said, she just had that thing that God's going to, I have no idea how it's going to happen, but God's going to make a way. And, uh, you know, he absolutely did, because we were at a point where we didn't have a home, we didn't have a school to go to, my mom didn't have a job, and we had no money in the bank. And right. absolutely, so, uh, and God just literally lifted us up out of the ashes, and I was able to go to school there, uh, finish school here in the U.S. as well. But one of the things that we grew up around as well uh, just a different, uh, you know, man-made structures that, uh, called the caste system where the core of that is every person is created unequal. And uh, there's a group at the bottom of that that are called the untouchables and um, almost considered less than humans. In the past, what would happen is even if the shadow fell on an upper caste person, that person would go home and take a shower because he thought he was polluted by his shadow. And so that was a framework that I grew up in. And uh, so that was one thing that the Lord just continued to challenge us on. Uh, of saying that, hey, you've been blessed, you know, you've experienced grace, and you've experienced faith, and now, you know, you get to go back and do that. And so we've been blessed to go back, and we've been back in Asia for the last 12 years, uh, just, uh, you know, bringing uh, his gospel and bringing the good news uh, of Jesus to place, uh, to very dark places and challenging places. So it's been a blessing to be able to do that over the last 12 years. Yeah, thank you for sharing, John and, and Scotty. So this is one thing that I think we all just need to, to focus in on and acknowledge one stage here. Uh, I'm 38 years old as a pastor. I grew up in a nice suburb of Minneapolis, and when I was in first grade, something didn't happen to me. The teacher did not look at the color of my skin and purposely try to, to make me fail or to tell me that I was a failure. And yet, my good friend, another pastor, grew up in the same country, had a very different experience. That's what happened to him. Um, and then on a global level, my friend, this pastor, uh, grew up, and he shared at the first service uh, a powerful uh, encounter with a, with a school friend uh, from the caste system. Can you just share that real briefly? Yeah. You know, uh, so my encounter, yeah, with the, with the caste system, you know, having grown up as a kid, you don't think too much of it. Uh, but even, you know, one of the things with the untouchable groups is they face similar issues. Like if you were in class, you'd be put at the back and not really given opportunities to go forward. But there was a kid uh, that was, who became my friend who stayed just behind us because my mom was able to get a job at a school. And his, his mom and his grandmom and him, three of them lived in that home. And both his mom and his grandmom, their job was they cleaned the sewers of the school. And it was manual scavenger, so brutal. And I, you know, as a kid, I just thought that's a way, there was a job, they got it, and that's the way they made a living. And uh, didn't think any of, the, uh, of it. Uh, he would come every day, we'd play together, and you know, cricket and soccer and all of that. And then one, you know, a few months down the road, uh, even years, I would say, we went to another part of, of town, and we were playing a soccer game there. And then he, there was a bunch of his relatives that were there. And so he introduced me to them. He said there was about eight to 10 of them. There were cousins, there were uncles and uh, aunts and all of them. And what I found out with all of them was they all cleaned the sewers. 
And it kind of, you know, it intrigued me and it kind of blew my mind too. I said, I asked him, his name was Rohit. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? How come everybody you introduced me to is claiming stories? And he, he just looked at me like I should know. And I, and I, I just had a blank face and he said, you sh that's what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And it says, who says? And he's like, that is the caste system. It's like, we're created, that's, that's the task of my family. My entire family, the whole town, they were tagged called bhangis, which means sewer cleaners. That was the tag for their whole family in the town. And that's, everybody did that. He, he, hadn't, uh, he was in school, and I saw the question I had immediately <coughs> was, hey, you know, w what's next for you? Uh, and he's like, nobody else has actually stepped into finished school from my family. I'm the first one who was in school. And he was a bright kid. And so that was, you know, that just kind of just shocked me to see that, hey, I'm sitting, we were sitting right next to each other, looked the same, but completely in different worlds. And it was, you know, I just realized what, what freedom I had because of what God had done on the cross, because of which I could be a new creation, and that I didn't have to live with a different mindset. I had a different identity than him. Even though we looked the same, my identity in Christ was something completely different, and I was on a completely different trajectory. And long story short, I forgot to share that this morning, but he, there was only one church in that town that we had, and so I would go to my pastor, I was probably in eighth grade, and I, I tell him, hey, you've got to explain this to me, and you've got to talk to this kid. And long story short, again, he was the first one who, the pastor counseled him out of it. He went to school. He actually was the first one to get educated from his whole family, and he came to the Lord as well. So I think just, uh, so, but that was, you know, a, a system that actually put him down, a system that told him he was less than with no hope of change, and just the change that the cross can bring and the, and the freedom that the cross can bring. I really appreciate you sharing that caste system because we're talking about that in our country right now, the systematic racism, and some people are, are saying we don't have systematic racism, and some people are saying, of course we do, and some people are saying, well, we might not officially legally, but we do on the, the lingering effects. But, but the hope that we have in Christ is even in a country where there's no debate that system systematic racism exists if you don't understand the caste system that's in, insane you know i mean yeah. there's a whole group of people called untouchables you can't go to school you your shadow falls on somebody else they take a shower i mean it, that's evil um even in that setting the light of christ can shine so uh as we turn to scripture here what i love about the text that both of these pastors have picked is one of them explains kind of where this comes from and that's really important in the conversation everyone has to answer why is there racism whether that's individual racism or systemic racism why and the scriptures have an answer for that the christian worldview explains that better than any other worldview in my opinion so would you uh, yeah. lead us in that and then we're going to talk more about how do we respond how do we have a conversation and be united and how do we move forward and pastor scotty brought a text on that yeah so you know as, as i was meditating on this uh and i mean just looking at the challenge even as we're talking about racism today, but even the challenge with the caste system that I was part of in, in South Asia. As we look at that, one of the things that just hit home was just looking at the core problem, right? I think that's one of the key parts is, uh, what, what is the main challenge that is driving all of this? And if you look at even the Word of God, which is our, obviously our guide and our, our uh, it, it guides us in ways of truth, and that is true, that it, it talks about sin. It talks about, even if you look at Genesis 2, it talks about the two trees, the two ways. It's a, the, the tree of life and then the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And one depicted a journey with, with God, right? God created us for fellowship with, with him. And he created us, so he created Adam and Eve. He, he walked with them, he talked with them, he provided for them, he made them fruitful, all of that. And then that was really, you know, the, the tree of life. And the challenge for that was that, you know, Adam and Eve thought, hey, we've got a better way. 
I, I can figure something. We're going to pick a different tree. Yeah, yeah, pick a different tree. And so they went after this tree. And so there was that fracture that occurred. And the, the thing is, when that fracture occurred, it was a way, a different way, right? It wasn't a way walking with God, but a way walking according to our own thinking, our own plan. And that was the challenge because it, it was going to be a hard journey from there on. You know, uh, it, it was going to be a man-made journey. There was a fight for survival, really. They had to figure stuff out on their own. And when that happens is when you go away from God, it, it, you move into man-made structures, you move into man-made systems. I think, Scotty, you just said we're imperfect people. I think, Mike, you said imperfect people structuring anything is going to be imperfect, right? Yeah. And I think that's the challenge. It's, it's like so we went away from God. It, it was self-serving. It's selfish because that's what human love is, right? It, it, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in it if it works for me. And, you know, many times that's, you know, and, and Jesus and, and God, you know, he sent his only son that we could be reconciled, that he died for us. So it, it's two very different models, but actually at the core, just reminding ourselves that, you know, that's the core thing that we, ha we all struggle with is, is sin. And that's the challenge that we all have to deal with in order to have reconciliation, in order to have solutions uh, in our regular lives as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's kind of sounds negative at first, right? To a, somebody, if you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, or you're just new to church, to, to suggest that, hey, the thing that unites us all is our sin. It, well, that sounds very negative, but, but if you think about it, that actually opens up the opportunity for us to come with a level of humility, to know that my personal sin and our collective sin is great enough that the Son of God had to die for me to reconcile me to God and to start to fix this world. It, it really changes the way you enter into any conversation including the one about race. So you, you chose Ephesians. Yeah, Ephesians 2 was uh, the one I showed. It says, uh, Ephesians 2, it says, made, it talks about us made alive in Christ. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, uh, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And then it, in verse 4, I'm just going to jump a little bit ahead. It says, but God so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And I think that's just a reminder of where we were, right? We were dead. I think I, I shared that earlier. It's like, you know, God, God did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And I think that's where we all are. There's, we're all on the same platform, right? I think that, and so once we realize that, hey, that we were dead in our sins, and that God, even despite, despite our sin, sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be reconciled. And because of that, then we can actually reconcile with others. And the key part of that is that, you know, when there's that vertical reconciliation with God, it then drives that horizontal reconciliation with each other because it actually gives us a new way of thinking, a new platform to actually work from. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. So I think the old, the old self is gone, the sinful self is gone. And then when we bring the cross in front of us and when we walk, you know, when we realize what was done on the cross for our sins and that we actually deserve, we deserve death, but Christ died in our place then that creates a platform for us that we can actually have a conversation with anything, with anybody about anything. And I think that's what the cross allows us to have those difficult conversations because it actually creates a level platform. We like to say um, in South Asia, it's level at the cross. You know, nothing, it, it, it doesn't give you any, you're not up on anybody because of anything, we were all dead. And I think that's the core, you know, Paul talks about it in Ephesians and it says, uh, you know, it says, uh, 
for we are God's masterpiece. So it kind of gives us that original intent, right? God created us for fellowship with him, for good works. And until we're born again, none of that will happen. And so that key part that we are saved, uh, you know, by grace through faith, that is it. Every single person, regardless of color, regardless of past, regardless of whatever, you know, by grace through faith, that allows us to be reconciled. Thanks, John. Yeah, that, that's a really helpful um, explanation is why is it broken? Why is there racism in the world? Why is there racism in anybody's heart? Um, well, because there's sin in our hearts. And if we can admit that, that we're sinners saved by grace, it gives us the humility to engage in the conversation. We say at Mercy Road a lot, humility is not thinking less of yourself or more of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. And that frees me up to not be self-deprecating and feel ashamed or not think I'm better than others or try to feel superior, but to just not think about Mike that much. And when I'm not thinking about Mike, it's really easy to think a lot about Scotty, you know, and just be others focused and charitable and loving in our, our words. So, so again, I think it's so cool how God kind of wired you guys together. You both chose scripture without consulting each other. You chose Ephesians 2. You chose Ephesians 3. So, Scotty, could you kind of, where do we go from here according to Ephesians 3? <clears throat> I, I, I love what my brother shared. And um, as he was sharing it, the, the thought that really hit me this time, it didn't hit me before, is all of us are untouchables. Wow. All of us are equal opportunity untouchables. And because of that, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. All of us. And, and, and God, in his grace, chose to save us. I, I mean, that's, y'all, it don't get no better than that. But anyway, the passage that I'm gonna try to concentrate on for a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes is Ephesians chapter three, uh, verse seven, which says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given me. The Apostle Paul is talking. And he says, in essence, that I'm just a servant. Because of that surpassing grace that we've been given, if we're going to make this thing really practical and live, at, live it out and and be able to get into conversations and get into relationships that we really need to get into as the body of Christ, we need to see ourselves first as a servant. None of us are any more valuable than any other of us. We're all just servants. John said it this way, I must decrease, he must increase. Paul said it this way, Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me. And all of us would, might say, I'm just a servant. And we should say that we're just servants. But what happens when somebody really treats us like a servant? What was the name of the last person that served you at a restaurant? You don't tend to remember servants. But that's who we are. We are servants of his and and the most important thing about us is not necessarily us but who we serve 
See, Paul says, I'm just a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. Grace is God's choice, to, God, is God's failure to give us what we deserve and his choice to give us what we need. I don't know about y'all, but I need grace. Y'all need it? Amen. Yeah, I need a whole bunch of it. And Paul says, out on that Damascus road, when the, when the dynamite of God exploded in my life, his life changed. And you and I who know the name, who know the person of Christ, one day his dynamite went off in our lives and he rearranged everything about us. He changed you. You are X something. Amen? All of us are X something. And because of that grace, he wants us to represent him as his servants. And as his servants, we say that to our master, yes, sir. I, I just really want to make sure, Mercy Road, we're, we're getting that. That's gold. Um, because, you know, as I try to raise my three kids, I, I'm concerned about the world and the nation that they're growing up in, in part when it comes to identity, because there's a popular uh, philosophy right now to just deduce human beings just by the color of their skin or yep. just by something that has happened to them that has been tragic or unjust. And I, I don't want my kids to grow up to feel like they're victims, even, right. even if they are victims in That's some right. way. The, the VA, we're in a cultural moment that takes care of veterans right now in our country, and they honor veterans, and I appreciate that. But it's interesting, the VA will send me these letters and, on my health and benefits and stuff, and, and I'm, I'm addressed as a disabled veteran, which is a, a strange thing because I have a service-connected injury to be called because I feel pretty able-bodied. Mm -hmm. And I've watched some of my brothers and, and sisters in the military kind of run with this where that, that becomes them. They're no longer a very complex human being with passions and uh, sinful tendencies and gifts and, and uh, dreams and good works that God prepared in advance for them to do. They're just a disabled veteran and that's just such a, a wrong view of, of the complex gift of human beings. And you're saying the most important thing about our identity is the fact that we're servants of Christ. And, yeah. and the scripture even balances that by saying you're not even just servants, you're friends of God, you're yep. sons of God. So you're yep. a servant, a son or a daughter of God, yep. and a friend of God, and that is the most important characteristic of you. Not, yeah. And I love the word you used. You said entrusted. Yeah. You, you told a story about yeah. a horrific incident of racism that you experienced as a first grader, and you said God entrusted that to me. What, do you, can you just... Speak quickly to sure. that word choice. God didn't select everybody for that. Out of his divine sovereignty, he chose me. Now, as a steward of my experiences, I have to look at my experiences in a way that gives him glory and not magnifies me in my experience. That's good. Let me see if I can put this to you another way. That's really good. I am a person that's a Christian. I happen to be an African-American. And being a Christian has to be more of, how do you say this? Has to take precedent over everything else. So I'm not just a person who, um, I'm, I'm not just black, I'm not just a person, who, an African-American or whatever. I am a Christian who happens to be an African-American. I'm a, Christians who, a Christian who happens to have had these, these things happen in my life. 
And as a steward of those things, I use those things to communicate the goodness and grace of God. I'm not a victim, even though I may have been, have, may have been victimized. My identity is in Christ. He is the one that cleaned this mess up that's sitting up here in front of you, you know? And uh, because of that, you know, I am privileged to serve him, you know? And so I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm not important in the whole scheme of things in, my, in terms of my own life, so to speak, in terms of my life uh, for me. My importance is about him and what he has for me. That's, that's what my life, that's what our lives as Christians should be all about. So I'm just a nobody. I put it that way for myself. And if I, if I approach people that way, and if I approach situations that way, I don't have anything to prove. God knows I'm a mess. And the people who know me knows I'm a mess. In fact, I was dead in my trespasses and in my sins. And were it not for God, I'd still be dead in my trespasses and in my sins. So out of a grateful heart, a, one, a heart that just wants to say thank you to him, let me live the rest of my life for him. And let me use my experiences to communicate the goodness of him. Because anything else is idolatry. If I elevate my experiences and my hurts to the point where they become the definition of who I am, that's idolatry. And I'm not into idolatry. That's, that's well said. Uh, Scotty, you are also a steward of a few other experiences. And one of them, uh, as a kid, my dad would take me to your church when you uh, were an inner city uh, pastor here in Minneapolis. And... Uh, you know, it was really powerful because my dad's decorating style, if you haven't met Larry, it's like TGI Fridays, like where you just put stuff all over the wall, and my mom regulates him to the garage. That's the only place he's allowed to do that. And so if you go in our garage growing up, there's just pictures and stuff, and you can tell what's really important to him because you, visually there's like a centerpiece. It takes a while to look at the, all the stuff. But like, <laughs> but like you were in the center, um, alongside a few other important things to my dad, and it was a picture, a Polaroid camera picture of you leading a, a white supremacist, violent skinhead to Christ. And, and I remember as a kid just processing that and being like, well, that's Pastor Scotty, who I go and hear preach, and, how, and I kind of got the concept, but it never really clicked. How would that happen? So could you just share a little bit? Of, it's one of the most amazing stories. Sure. Um, I'm sitting in my office one day, and Larry comes by, and, and he says, uh, come on, go with me. There's this guy we need to talk to. And um, it was a young man that had just gotten out of jail, okay? And he was a known skinhead. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if any of y'all know what that is. So let's say there's these people called the Klan. They, that's one side. They're white supremacists, yeah. But this particular group, who shaved their heads and identified with neo-Nazis and stuff like that, they were a violent, violent group. So I had the privilege of going to talk to him. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna call it. And, and for those who don't know, my dad was a police officer, a re yes. retired police officer, and Scotty was a police chaplain, so that's also very relevant for our world yeah, right now. Absolutely. And so, and so I, I walk into this, into this house and there are, I think, probably about five police officers there on the scene with me. And the police officers 
are standing around the doors and windows. And I, and I go in, and I'm, I'm going to talk to this guy. And somehow he and I ended up grabbing hands and having a conversation. And this kid, I call him a kid, but this young man is shaking like a leaf. I mean, I can't believe how nervous he was. And later on, he told me that this is the first time in his life he's touched the, touched the hand of an African-American, touched an African-American person where he did not inflict pain or violence. First time. So we're sitting there, and we're talking, and, and, I, and, I, and I approached him with regard to his, his faith and, and the relationship with Christ and, and all of that. To make a long story short, led the young man to Christ. And you think about the fact that I grew up in a, in a very, you know, segregated, initially segregated hour, 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 hour of time in terms of, in terms of where we lived. And I was one of those transition kids between segregation and integration. And there was a whole lot of stuff that happened with me. But then I'm sitting in a room with this guy. Now, one of the things that, that happened was um, he had said that if any of his family ever shows up, they would kill him and kill me and, and, and kill the rest of us because he and I were having a conversation. Now, what happened was a, a, I think a delivery man or something like that did drive up. And it was interesting to watch the officers because all of them were alerted and they went to their individual posts, you know, with their hands on their guns. And we're having a conversation about Christ. And I just, I just, I just am humbled uh, that God would do something like that. And for me, what it, what it says is God can change anybody. The power of the gospel can change anybody. Now, it changed me. I'm going to tell you. What I didn't tell you about is what I didn't know about myself until I was 29 years old was how angry I was about racism. I was in, incredibly angry but being from the Deep South, you could never show that. Because if you, could sh if you showed anger and someone could predict how you would react to a given situation, they control you. So I would never let anybody know I was angry. But sitting in a seminary classroom at Dallas Theological Seminary, a teacher showed us a, showed us a video about a teacher who discriminated against a group of, group of students, all white, because of eye color. And when I saw the impact that that had on those kids, it was the first time I understood what was wrong with me. And I had to say, God, I am screwed up. Here I am wanting to go into ministry and do the things that you want me to do, and I am incredibly angry. You got to do a work in me in order to get me through this. And God, in his grace, in his grace, gave me calm and an assurance and a relief of that relief release of that anger uh, over a short period of time, relatively short period of time that I cherish to this day and to make a long story short I've pastored three churches and all three of those churches were cross-cultural and and I want to be about that because there's something about being in a cross-cultural community that forces me to deal with my mess because I can't have everything the way I want it. It's all about me dying to self. 
And if I put an end to self, then guess what? There's a possibility that God can do more with me than it, was, than it would be if I just stay, with, stay in a homogeneous situation. I guess, let me wrap up with this. You know, I told you a few minutes ago about the, the, the Klan shooting out my grandfather's house. When we moved here to Minnesota, uh, my wife and I, we moved here to Minnesota uh, around 1993. During that year, uh, I, was, I was invited to a birthday party of one of the local pastors. And at that birthday party, uh, I was meeting people and that kind of thing, and they asked me where I was from. And so I told them you know, where I was from, and one of the young ladies said, oh, I know where that is. I have relatives in that area. And, she, and I asked what the name of that person was, or those people were. And then I had to tell her, you know, those, uh, that, that family of people are the, are the family of people that shot into my grandfather's house. And she said, oh, let, well, let me introduce you to my husband. And she introduced me to him, and I told him the same story. And, and he said, yeah, I met him a couple of times. I've been with him a couple of times. And every word out of his mouth would have been something like that. That's exactly what he would have done. But then he said this, well, on behalf of my family, I want to apologize. What? He could have said, well, that happened a long time ago. He could have said, you know, that's not my biological family. I, 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 I have nothing to do with that. But he said, on behalf of my family, I want to apologize. Now, that he, he, what he did for me was release me from a whole lot of stuff that happened when I was five and six years old, and I was older then, okay, when we had this conversation, I put it that way. And what that did was it validated the experience, but also freed me from thinking ill about that family anymore. That was healing for you? That was incredibly healing. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and the other part of it is, I had a chance to introduce that same man to my father. Some of y'all might know him. A guy named Chuck Knapp. Oh, sound familiar, huh? Yeah. Chuck was the one who married into that family and said that to me. And, and now, when I talk to Chuck, Chuck asked about my dad. When I talk to my dad, he asked me if I've, heard, if I've heard from Chuck lately. There was, a, there was a bond because of our relationship with Christ that was built because of us being able to talk about truth and reflect the kingdom of God. See, Chuck took on the position of a servant. I'm just a nobody. I can be honest. But through that, he, he, he taught me some things, and the, the experience taught me some things about the power of God and the gospel and how it's able to bring real reconciliation. Not, not uh, y'all forgive me, not this stuff that we think is okay, the stuff that we call, how do you say it, uh, peaceful coexistence is not peaceful and it's not coexistence. Coexistence. We need reconciliation. Hmm so that we can be the people of God and reflect the kingdom of God because God wants to demonstrate how wise he is. It takes godly wisdom to put a little boy from the south 
and a skinhead in the same room and this young man come to know Jesus. Amen? Amen. That takes godly wisdom. I, I, I can't come up with that plan. <laughs> I guarantee you I wouldn't have come up with that one. Everything in me would have been afraid. But God can. I can't come up with someone who would say to me, you know, on behalf of my family, I want to apologize. But to show you the power of God and his ability to bring reconciliation, we can do that. And as the body of Christ, that's what he demands of us. You are my brothers and sisters. My, my, my experiences and the color of my skin is not the definition of who I am. And it should not be the definition of who you are. You are a person in the body of Christ if you know Jesus as your Savior. And there's nothing more important than that. Nothing. Because everything else is temporal. Our relationship with Christ is the only thing that's eternal. Amen. Eternal. And we need to do, be about things that are eternal rather than temporal. Well, thank you, Scotty. Amen. Very well said. Um, I wonder um, if communion is not the most appropriate thing we could do to end a conversation like this. Uh, you know, obviously, we, we talked about race and our common need for reconciliation with God, and then that allows us to be humble enough to have complex conversations, mm -hmm. to seek godly wisdom for reconciliation with each other. I so appreciate both of your experiences and your perspectives. Um, John, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to say? You know, I think just uh, maybe just a couple of verses that I'd love to finish up with here. Uh, it just talks about, you know, as we look at, as we talk through Wait. that all along, but if you look at um, the second Ephesians uh, verses 14, it says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ has reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. So even as we look at communion, I think just a good reminder that this is the basis on which we can all come together. Opponents become part of the same team, and I think that's the unity that's going to actually be transformative. And that's, the, as, as Scotty was saying, it's not just peaceful coexistence, but what does a kingdom existence look like for, for believers? And that's it. And that can only come out of, out of this cross ahead of us all the time, knowing what was done for us and because of which how we can engage in the world today. So I think that's just a key reminder that we are one under the cross. We are one with Christ, and we are one through what Christ has done. Amen. Amen. Can I share one more thing real quick? And it just says, his intent, meaning God, God's intent is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. See, our coming together as brothers and sisters is not just about us down here. It's about what God wants to reflect in the heavenly realm so that demons will understand that they've been defeated. Why? Because these are individuals that can put their individual ideologies and their individual identities to death for the cause of Christ. But then it shows those who are good angels how to fight the good fight of faith, or how to fight the good fight, so to speak, because we fight it by faith. So it's not just for us. It's not about us. 
It's about our king and his kingdom. We are citizens of another kingdom. Amen? Amen. We're citizens of another kingdom. And as citizens of that kingdom, we are deployed here as ambassadors. And ambassadors are the only individuals that can, that can talk to a prince, that can talk to a pauper, that can talk to a president, that can talk to anybody in that country because they represent another country. And, and we do. We represent another country. And because we do, we are responsible to communicate the message of the country from which we're from, and that is heaven. And we live that out every day. Amen. Amen. Those are needed words. Well, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the Passover bread, and he turned to his disciples, and these disciples had taken the Passover meal many times every year of their life, and he said, this bread is actually my body. It's going to be broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. He's essentially saying, I'm the, the point of Passover. I'm the perfect lamb. I'm the one that apologizes for every sin that I actually did not commit. And not just apologizes, but makes full atonement for. And as his bewildered disciples li listened and looked, they took the bread and they ate. After the cup was passed out after the meal, the cup representing the promise God made with the Israelites, the covenant, Jesus picked up the chalice and he said, this wine represents a new covenant, a new promise God has made with people, not just one people group, but every people group. And as you drink this, know that this will be my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, injustice and racism and hatred and violence and bitterness, it, it does accrue a cost that somebody has to pay and Christ says, I, I paid that, I paid it. So take Mercy Road and drink. Scotty, would you close us in prayer? Lord, we're so grateful to you for Christ and the sacrificial death he died. You took all the sin in the entire world upon yourself. Sin past, present, and future. The ugliness of racism, the ugliness of rejection, the ugliness of pain. And you took it in your body so that we could be free to be obedient to you. pray that as we uh, depart from this place, we're so glad that we never depart from your presence. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to go out into the streets and live the lives of a servant. We are nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who can change anybody. We thank you for your grace towards us. Now, Lord, we pray that you would keep us, watch over us, be kind to us, and give us opportunities to share. In the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior, we pray. All of God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you, and thank you all very much. Amen. Thanks for, for being here, gentlemen. Uh, before we transition into a final worship song, I do want to say, if you're watching online or in person and want to give to either of these men's ministries, uh, 
Pastor Scotty does amazing work at Mendenhall Ministries in Mississippi, uh, and Pastor John does amazing work. We can't say the country because there's Christian persecution there, but both of them have very worthy ministries. You can write a check to Mercy Road and just in the subject line uh, put Pastor Scotty or Pastor John. That would be one way that we'll get that to them, or you can give online and designate that over a text to give or our online website. Or you can email us explaining where you'd like that to go. But thank you for being a generous church. Let's uh, conclude with singing and worshiping together. Yeah. 
the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit, his healing Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.